What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Take Time Out with Trey Mosley. I am your host, Trey Mosley, and we got a special one for you. My sister Love joins us today, Miss Deborah Wilson. Um, I don't think there's a need for an introduction. And if you don't know us, something wrong with you, you need to go on and Google her up and see what's happening. Mama, what's good? Hey, my brother Love. Good morning. How yes, are yes, you? I, you know, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Um, sun is out. My eyes opened. I can't complain, man. It, it is. A, it is a lovely day. It is good right being on. me. Um, you know, I was. I was so glad um, to get you on here because you know one of the things that I love about you. You know, I tell people, I said, well, you remember back in the day, they used to say ivory soap was 99.9% pure. I think you're 100% pure. Yes, Everything about you, what you see is what you get. Yeah. And God uh, carved I, me I, in that way. God said, I'm going to take you as my stone. I'm going to carve you. And, and I, I love it. Carve, uh, yeah. But it's worth it in the end. If you look at all of the, the great statues and great art pieces that were made out of stone, if you look at... um you know, the, 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 the valleys and the hills that were built from rock and stone and meteors that created the Grand Canyon. So stone is hard to carve for the most part, but, but the results are, are amazing and there is pure. So thank you for that. Thank you. No, that. absolutely. Um, I want to share this one thing with you. When I first started this podcast, you know, and I've watched podcasts and they've been on podcasts, usually before the show begins, there's a, okay, well, what are you comfortable asking? And, and, and what, you know, is this okay? That okay. And I chose to do it unscripted and you're the reason why, uh, I've seen your keynote speeches and we've talked and I asked you, you know, how'd you get inspiration to write? You was like, I don't write anything. I get on the stage and whatever comes from here and here, I give to the masses. And I well, took the that in. That. That's the thing. That's the thing that the real the real thing is not is not just just in me. Yes, it is, but it's the relationship. It's mm -hmm. the relating, and and it feeds you. We don't. We some people you know come from that ego space, and some people come from that space of, you know, what do I do? How do I do this? And it's like, but you know what? The universe is already here, conspiring in your favor, and everything around you is your fodder for your growth. Your fodder Absolutely. for your words, your fodder for your feelings. Everything is brain stimulation, and then out through the you know through the mouth, the, you know the eyes, the ears, the touch, the senses, the smell. So you know the whole point of the five senses is to have an experience with everything around you. And so when you're having an experience of everything around you and staying in that moment, you will be compelled to share that moment instead of feeling like you have to write it down and not be in that moment or write something that you feel the moment should be and may not be. So for me, I'm what you might call off the cuff. Uh, and I improv because I'm having an experience in any given moment and I have a feeling about that moment. So therefore I, I have something to say about that moment and how I feel about that moment. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things I, I take into this podcast. You know, I, so many people in our industry, we, folks who follow us and like what we do, they, they focus on the after or the right here. I always like to go to the before. Um, you know, many people may know you from, from sketch comedy and movies and things like that, but there was a time when the calls stopped coming and, you know, I would like for you to, 
to share what you you and I talked about. Um, and if I'm and if I'm recalling it incorrectly, uh, please uh, get your boy right. But you were doing uh, shows in the park, and you said that an agent had saw you. And... No, that wasn't it. Well, okay, um, so get me right. What it was originally was I was working for City of New York Parks and Recreation. Okay. And so I had a, a, it's a huge creative, a massive creative outlet. It was amazing. And I wanted that to be my life's goal, my life's journey, because mm -hmm. I, I was working with the differently abled. I was working with preschoolers. I was working with seniors. I was doing after school stuff. Um, I was doing aerobics, teaching aerobics. I was um, doing homework help. I was doing summer programs. Uh, I worked uh, for a time at, uh, the, uh, with REACH, which was Recreation, Education, Athletic and Crafts for the, Athletic and Crafts for the Handicapped, the REACH program mm -hmm. out of the city of New York. And so that for me was everything that I could ever want. It was a city job. I got my benefits and I loved and absolutely loved what I did. It was everything I could have ever hoped and wished for in every creative outlet that was, was, was moving out. And of course, city of New York and parks and recreation, it's going to have its limitations because if there's the budget cuts or these things, that's what happens. Bottom line. That's what happens. Yeah. But it just so happens to be that I was in Manhattan and uh, I went to go see after, after work, I went into Manhattan to go see the premiere of young guns. And uh, that's how long ago it was. And then uh, when I was done, because I had gotten out of work at time enough to see, uh, catch a movie really quickly, it was still daylight in the summer. And I was like, well, you know what? What else is going on? And then someone handed me this flyer and they said, listen, it's a comedy, improv, uh, stand-ups. And some of the biggest stand-ups that I saw that night are the ones that made it huge in the industry. Yeah. And so they said, there's an improv group that comes before us, come and see us. And one of the guys who was in the improv group was handing out flyers. And so I went and I didn't know what improv was. Now I did go to the high school performing arts. So theater, gotcha. But improv I've never heard of, at least in this form of um, theater. Mm -hmm. And so uh, at one point they needed a volunteer from the audience and no one would get up because everyone was with a friend and they were pushing each other to do it or they were drunk or whatever. And so I was like, I'll do it. You know, I know what it's like to be on stage. I'm, I'm cool with that. This is going to be fun. And um, it was an improv. And they said, here's the information. And there are only two rules to improv. Some people call it yield and don't deny or mm -hmm. yes and. But I was like, okay, that's simple. And I got it and I played and I had a great time and I ended up joining that troupe and it, it just began to um, open up that space for me of the possibility of what else was in store for me in other creative opportunities, essentially. But I just basically went, cool. Now, that was the first time. The second phase was someone was doing a show here in Los Angeles after Mad TV and after all this stuff. And uh, they said, uh, listen, I want you on my show. And I was said, absolutely. And it was a live show. And it was based on a game show from the 50s called mm -hmm. What's My Line? Basically, you're, you're talking to someone, you're blindfolded, and people who are celebrities come on, and you're blindfolded, and they can disguise their voice if they want, and you ask yes or no questions until the panel of four people 
discuss and figure out who it is. So each person goes down the line asking questions and there are a certain amount of questions amongst you. And mm -hmm. once all those questions are over, you have to kind of surmise who that might be. Sometimes you'll hear the audience reaction and you'll go, oh, this is someone very well known. And so you ask your yes or no questions. And again, they can disguise their voices and they write their name on a board while I have, while we have our blindfolds on. And then the audience goes nuts because they see who it is and they write their name on the board. So at one point they, once that person is gone, we take off our blindfolds. There's a, a, a chat with the host about what's going on, what mm -hmm. they're here to promote as well. They, from the back of the stage, they pull up the board. So it looks like uh, they pull up the, the piece of paper that it was written on or the cardboard that it was written on. And it, and it's in a frame in the front, but the cardboard's in the back. So they pull up the cardboard while the frame is there and it looks like it just disappears. And I've been doing this thing for years that when something makes me really happy, I do this baby laugh. And so it made me happy because it looked like a magic trick. And in that moment, I was a baby looking at a magic trick like peekaboo. Mm -hmm. And I did this laughter. And in the audience was the host. His name is J. Keith Van Stratton. J. Keith Van Stratton's agent was in the audience, but it wasn't just his, but it wasn't just his agent. One of the founding members of the agency. Wow. Was there. CESD. It was Paul yeah. Doherty. And Paul okay. Doherty said, who's she? That's funny. I wonder what else she can do with her voice. J. Keith Van Stratton said, my agency wants to, to chat with you. And at that point, I was like, I don't care. I don't, okay. For me, it was just about the joy. Because mm -hmm. it's almost like when your parents, when you could do a trick or you can sing a song a certain way or, you, you know, you did something funny and your parents push you out in front of friends and yeah. say, okay, do that thing, do that thing. For me, mm -hmm. it was it was that memory because I didn't hold on to the possibility of what it could be because that's a trap. Yeah. And I'd already been in that trap because at that point I was losing my home. My marriage was falling apart. I wasn't working. Mm -hmm. So I had nothing to lose except my joy and that I refused to give up. All right. So any creative outlet was never money. It was getting back into that space before I was even in an industry that required me to be things in order to make money and have auditions and have agents and have managers. It was way before that barter system, that in sure. industry barter system. And so I went back to that space and I've held that space ever since. And so I went in and I just sat at the table with all of the agents, every single one of them was present. And I was like, okay, check this out, check this out. Before they even got a word out, I did my baby again. I was like, okay, wait, wait. And they had him laughing. Okay, okay. Dog barking in the distance, dog barking in the distance. And then just all these fun things that I used to do with people. As soon as I had you laughing, I was like, okay, I'm not done. I got to keep that laugh going because this is just so much fun. Yeah. And then finally, once, once it calmed down, they were able to, you know, to talk to me about things. And one of the things I remember saying, because now my spiritual and personal philosophy after having those things being taken away and being gone, God was like, I'm taking these away. I am molding you and sculpting you. You are hard as rock and I'm going to carve you into something beautiful and powerful. And the strength that you have will draw things. And so the philosophy and the spirituality, which came to the forefront and, 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 and still is, was enjoy the moment, stay in the moment, breathe the moment. There is no consequence in the moment.
Mm. Everything else is a consequence once you go beyond that. Out of that moment, where's this going to take me? Do they want me? Do they need me? And they're going to have, I haven't heard back. Let me call my, what's going on? Do you know anything? Can I hear anything? Hey, Jay Keith, what's going on? Stay in the moment. Because every moment has another moment and has another moment. Before you know it, you're living in the present. And the gift is, every pun intended, the present. And so I just did that. And I never asked for anything and wanted, because, you know, when you got nothing to lose, you know, what can you lose when you have nothing else to lose as far as that's true and so it was just staying in the present and so um that day that very day they put me in the booth because my philosophy is how can i serve the process how can i serve what's going on here because if i make it about me then it's how do i manipulate it so i can keep making the revenue keep being popular keep having things keep being seen keep growing fans you feel me yeah and so for me, it was never about how do I become rich and famous? It was with Mad TV. It's like, okay, this is happening. What else can I do? How can I keep this going? How do I generate all this stuff? Let me talk to my agents, my representative. What, can, what else can we do to, okay, what is all of that? And I went, Mm-mm. God humbled me in such a way that he honored me. In humbling me, I became a chosen child that by choice to go, I'm listening to you and no one else. Because there you are other feel... out there and it's an industry thing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be guided by your will. Right. My choices, but your will and your will alone. And so I joined CESD and my philosophy was, how do I serve this process? Because at the end of the day, it's not going to just be about my voice. I have to make sure that I make you proud for everything you represent me on so that they go back to you and say, we're glad you brought us this person. We're glad, we're glad you, we brought us this person as opposed to how do I make my voice work? Because a lot of people get stuck in agencies going, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, something's not clicking for me here. And they switch agents and they don't realize no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah. And so for me, it was, how do I serve your process? How do I serve you? Because it felt good to know that people were satisfied. It's like making them a great meal. Yeah, mm-hmm. you did all the cooking, but how good does it feel that everyone that you're looking at enjoyed it, is right. satisfied, and at the same time, makes them glad that they go, I'm glad we brought her in. She's family now. And that's what I wanted to do. And ever since that philosophy, things have steam rolled, regardless of what's going on in the industry, regardless of what's going on in the world. I've steamrolled and continuing to steamroll to this day. And the older I get, the stronger the awareness, the love, the stronger of living in the moment, and the more powerful the work is because I continue to develop a powerful work philosophy where my voice is last, not first. And you said that often um, that you put your voice last and not first. And I think people don't really understand uh, what that means. Talk about that a little bit more about putting the voice last and, and what it means to, to you. So many people from so many different walks of life, they see voiceover. And now with the technology, now with the awareness, now with YouTube and now with social media sites, everybody can do something. People can blog, people can have YouTube channels. You can have a channel You know, before channels used to be only major television, ABC, CBS, NBC, and then eventually Fox. So now people are creating their own channels, their own networks of things. 
And so everyone out there has a tendency to believe I can do that. I can do that. And you can absolutely. But the place that they're coming from, not everybody, but a majority of people are coming from fandom. Let me hang on. Let me make sure this is, is off. Pardon me. And I'll start to repeat that again. All right, hang on. A lot of places that people are coming from are fandom. So mm -hmm. they see it. But to see it and want to do it sometimes is a coveting thing to do. Because the driving force in their linear thinking is people say I have a great voice. People say I'm funny. Mm -hmm. Or I can do this imitation. Or I can do this character. And so they can mimic and they're funny but it takes an acting skill. That's why it's called voice acting, not voice acting. It's voice acting. acting yeah. And so a lot of people aren't going to deeper places to go, how do I discover that? Because they just want to go, hear my voice, listen to my voice. That's ego. Mm. And for me to have longevity in an industry that's still changing with AI and to still navigate that and still have longevity, is to be able to create connections that are outside of the voice, is to be able to tell the stories that were created, written, thought of four, five, six years ago before you were even a name or a blip on their radar. It's deciding to tell the stories, none which is greater than your own story, and using your emotions and your feelings. Never becoming a character because that's one dimension. You can't become a one-dimensional thing. However, you can have these one-dimensional writings and these one-dimensional beings and these one-dimensional sentient life forms come into you and you get a chance to tell their story through your heart, your mind, your emotions. And when you're willing to do that first, your voice print will finally find its way. So do that work. Don't put your voice first because you can have a great voice. But if it doesn't fit this project, this project, or this project, who cares how great your voice is? It doesn't match this project. But when you're doing the work about the project itself, you're going to find a symbiosis to the project and your voice finds its way. Your voice print finds its way. So put your voice last. And then when you do the project, your voice is now first because your process is intimate but it's also grounded in telling a story. Because at the end of the day, if there were no voiceovers, I'd still be a storyteller. If there were no video games, I'd still be a storyteller. If there were no narrative jobs or documentaries, I'd still be a storyteller. Because that is something from early humankind. Why? Because stories are important to tell. They help build civilizations. Yeah. They help build personal uh, cultural groups, tribes. They help tell us cautionary tales. They help us remember our ancestors. So storytelling is what I'm here for. Voiceover just happened to be created in the 19th and 20th centuries to do it. Amen and amen. Your process, and I've, I've seen it firsthand, where... You get a character and they say, okay, this is Angel the Mercenary. I've seen where you will create a whole world and backstory for that character. Uh, act it out and then give the performance. And I don't know 
many people in this industry that 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 do that. Uh, I think it's a, it's a phenomenal thing. And I, I took a class with you and I remember that and you brought something out of me and I'm like, I never thought to do that. And since then, I've taken that philosophy when I get auditions for characters, be it video games or or animation. I try to give it a backstory. Um, something Dave Fenoy told me, he said, characters do not walk around with scripts. In their world, they are living being things and they don't know that somebody on a computer wrote these lines for them and you have to honor that character. Um, is that something you've always felt that you you brought like, you know what, let me let me look at this character and, and create this world. So say, for example, you're in a session in the booth director you know, once it done a certain way, you know, if you tell them, well, look, this is how I envision it. Like, how do you bring your input to the session that maybe turns a light bulb on for them and then go, okay, I see what you're doing. Well, then let's, let's do it. your you know, do it your way. And no, it's always, it's always the director's way. It's always, the booth. I never tell a booth director what to do ever. If they say they want this, why? Because for that, my ego gets involved. Ego always checked at the door. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't know the larger parameters. Maybe they have someone coming in right after me. Maybe the person, you know, who's coming in after that, you know, is on a time thing. Or the person who, who came in before me was running late. Or he's having, a, he or she, booth director-wise, is, is not having a great day. Or they want to move through this because mm -hmm. they have another session in another part of town. And they want to work as efficiently. And they have been, before I even came in, working on with the engineer how to move through this quickly and get everything technically ready for me to come in because it's like, okay, here's what I want. So that's why I said when I, when again, my philosophy back with CESD initially is how do I serve your process? Because every everyone has a different process. And when you get a chance to serve everybody's process, they want to bring you back. Because mm -hmm. it's like, you know me and my process. So when I remember somebody in their process, all right, I don't give up myself. I don't give up my creativity. Nothing gets sacrificed in what I do because I am here for transmutation. I am here for evolution. I am here for revolution. And with all of those things, I am transmuting, transforming, and defying the space that I'm in. So that I can give you what you want and never lose what I need to do it. I, I so like the um, application and say, all right, Deb, here's an example. And I go, okay, here's what I do. Simple as that. It's simple as that. So if somebody says, come in, all right, Deb, listen, uh, we're running, I'm running late in this session. And um, here's the character uh, and uh, here are the specs and uh, here's what we're looking for. Okay. Okay, so she's from here and blah 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 blah. Okay, okay. So uh and I'll and I'll ask the game devs or the writers who are also in the session, usually on Zoom. All right, tell me a little bit more. Okay. So now they're filling me in with their story, as opposed to me creating this backstory. Mm -hmm. Me taking the time to do that. Now it's their time that they're spending. And of course they're gonna take their time. You feel me? Mm -hmm. As opposed to an actor coming in, a voice actor coming in, and I don't even call myself that. As opposed to someone coming in and going, all right, well, tell me more. Okay, well, well let me create this. And all right, I'm going, okay, what if, what if? Uh, they don't have time for that. And if you read the room, you'll know how to deliver exactly what they need and not compromise one iota 
of your creative space. That's How the level you, I've gotten to. And and that's dope. I think a, a lot of voice actors aspire to get to that level. Um, something that I but hey, here's, to, here's the trick. Here's the thing. Yeah, I'm just going to be like this is a if you read all of the um, you know, the fine print at the bottom line, the mm -hmm. fine print at the bottom line of all of this is that it's already within you. It's whether or not you choose to apply it and whether or not your consciousness is open that it exists in the first place. And that leads to my next question. Uh, oftentimes I get um, voice actors who maybe not have been in it as long as, as you and I have, but have attained a certain level of success uh, within their own right, whatever their definition of success is. Um, imposter syndrome. Um, I know some people deal with it gravely and then there are some who like well i i don't have that that problem uh what would you say to someone who would come to you and say well deb i've I booked this i've done this you know my career is starting to ascend but i still feel like you know the the rose colored glasses are going to come off and they're going to just see this fraud um like talk talk to someone who's watching this now who may feel like despite everything they've done, there's still that that hint of, of doubt in them that they don't belong here in, in this space. Three words, get over it. <laughs> You're already working. If you feel that way, get the fuck out of the business. Step aside. Because you're not paying attention to the here and now. You're throwing that moment away. You're throwing the gift away. You're throwing the opportunity that exists within you away. Stop it. It's bullshit. You don't belong here. You don't belong here. Do you want somebody to tell you you don't belong here and then not hire you? How would you feel then? You'd be combative. You'd be hurt. You'd have this emotional reaction. Why do you have those reactions? Because it's a response to knowing a truth in you that you won't fucking get over and accept, which is that you belong. The moment shit doesn't happen, you're going to wonder why. And mm. the answer is, is because you already knew the truth about you. You just refuse to accept it. Get over it. Get over it and stop it. Because what you have to do now is say, fuck the work. Let me go back to my pain. Let me go back to the stuff like that. When you do that, Suffering that is a choice. You are choosing that. Don't mm. tell me about your past that you can't get over it. You obviously did enough to have a career. You obviously did enough to work. You obviously did on that path. So to turn around and walk backwards in your consciousness is a choice. Stop choosing it. You think it's more complex because of everything you've gone through. There are a lot of people who go through stuff. I've gone through a lot of stuff, a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, a lot of sadness, a lot of suffering, physical, sexual, mental, emotional, psychological, been there and done that. Is it ever going to leave me? No. But can I use it when I'm creating things that are powerful and visceral to me? Can I tell that story with that much more authenticity? Yes. Why? Because I put it in my luggage and I travel wherever I go because I can pull it out and benefit the thing that I'm doing. But the one thing I don't do is leave my fucking baggage with me.
I take, take my luggage you. with me and leave my fucking baggage behind. You'll benefit yourself if you do the same. I love you, but you'll benefit <laughs> yourself if you do the same. Take your take your luggage with you, which means everything that you can use to get to the places that work for you. And people go, when I close my eyes, I don't just hear you. I feel you. I feel myself. See, that's what we want to achieve. I don't want to just hear you and feel what you're going through or feel this character. I want to see myself in that. I want to feel myself. Why do you think people want to be in this business? Because of other people they've seen and heard and the way it makes them feel. Yeah. The ultimate truth is how it makes you feel. So imagine doing the same when someone else goes, I feel that for me. Oh, I feel that truth. When you, when that character went through that, it's like you actually went through it. And I remember going through something like that and feeling that way. People want to hear themselves in what you do. And if you use that as a continued goal, you will find the most honest make and measure of who you are to do that, including your pain, because all of it is fodder. Mm. The only point of the bullshit that you've ever been through is because you're strong enough to make the choice to be minerals and turn it into fertilizer and grow something else. So put that in your luggage and leave your fucking baggage behind. Amen and amen. You, you touched on something that um, is kind of a hot button topic nowadays, and that's um, the emergence of, of AI. I, I know it's it's one of those things. Um as a performer and not just in in voiceover but as a performer and as a storyteller and as someone who you know is real we're real we're tangible and yet here's this technology coming in that lacks emotion even though they're trying their best to compute it into code it, and, it, it and development that way. <laughs> how do you feel the future of a voiceover and performance period? i don't know because i'm staying in the now it's too much it's too heady it's too much for me i know when something's too much for me I know when something is too overwhelming for me to deal with. I'm not running from it. I'm just not gonna get my head in there. Why? Because there's so many different directions you can go. Right now, SAG AFRA is trying to ratify a contract that brings billions of revenue in for their performers. However, AI is still a slippery slope. So you also have the controversy of people within the industry and the people that are SAG after members going, no, don't ratify this because there's so much gray matter. There'll always be gray matter. You know why? Because voiceover is life. Life is voiceover. Everything is art, art imitating life and light imitating art, everything. So the complexities that you can't control, you're trying to control. And that's where the frustration comes in. Do this better. Make sure this. Make, what, what can we make sure? I can make sure I put on my clothes and walk my dog. I cannot make sure that I won't get hit by a car. Thanks. So I do the best in the moment that I have. That is overwhelming for me. And I know when it's overwhelming. I know when I don't want to get into battle. Everyone's like, no, if you're a sag after member, you should, no, no. You're asking me to get into a battle that I don't want to be in because you don't want to look at me as an individual. You want to look at a group consortium and then put yourself in. How does that make you feel? Do you feel any better? Do you mm. feel more hopeful? Do you feel like it's going to work? With all the things that are emerging in the AI technology on every level of humanity itself, and we've been seeing it burgeoning, do you honestly think we'll have that much control over it? And now you're going, all right, well, we don't have control over that. Let's go to the studios and we're going to make you do this. We're going to make you do this. We're going to tell you we want this. We want this. Great. So then keep having that battle until you get everything you think you want, if you think you can get it. What happens in the meantime of the now? I know you're fighting and forging for the future. I get it. 
And I have these things that I've been looking at online where sag after members are saying, here's why I think it shouldn't be ratified. And I listen. I absolutely do. But at the end of the day, people, you have to make your own decision. As a group member and as an individual, don't forget every group is made up of hundreds of thousands of individuals. individuals. That's right. And how does AI affect you? Is it affecting you because someone else told you what could happen? The possibility that can happen? What might happen, would happen, could happen, may happen, possibly happen? And at that point, how do you fend? How do you fend something that is still conceptual? Mm. And hasn't taken money out of your pocket in the now? Right. Oh, I can get cancer. Okay, well, you can. Do you live for the now? Do you do your research? What do you do? Individual choices, individual choices. Do you make group choices and group decisions? Do you listen to both sides and then go, let me make a decision or no decision at all? Whatever it is, we all come to this planet to be individual. I don't care if you are identical twins, neither of you are born at the same time. There's always one older than the other. Why? Because still, even in birth, and philosophically, we all come into the world one at a time. Therefore, we are individuals. And so it's making that individual decision. So everyone wants to discuss AI and I don't. I don't. <laughs> and some people are like, ah, but it's so important. So right, I get that it is. But you're asking me to make it important for me and not looking at my own individuality and not respecting that space that I hold. I can't bank on a future that doesn't exist. And that's why when I was having all of these things that I felt were taken away from me in life, all I thought about was how do I get it back? Not growing as a person, how do I have a husband again? Not thinking of love, how do I keep my home? Not wondering how to move on. None of those things. And when I let it all go, I mean, I let it all go. I opened my doors and I had 2,138 square feet, three bedroom, three bathroom, three floor with a garden roof. And I said, take it. All of these things that I have in here, all of this material stuff that I filled up, they don't really represent who I am. This material stuff doesn't represent me. I don't want to hold on and I don't want to barter and I don't want to ask people, well, how much do you think it's worth? Well, I, I'm not going to haggle. If you like it, take it. People were telling strangers. People were telling people who knew people. And they were like, can I have that? Yep. Take it. Mm. This doesn't define me. And I don't want to hold on umbilically cord on a spiritual level to something that doesn't define me. Yeah, but you, you, you could have sold it. Yeah. And I have to wait to see if who wants it and haggle. I'm not going to go through that. I'm not going to complicate my space. And so when I went through this personal journey, this personal journey is a personal journey for everything. It's always personal. People say, you know, it's show business. It's not personal. No, it is personal. Because I take pride in everything I do and, and sharing and serving the experience because it's my experience too. So yes, I'm here to serve your process and serve your experience, but I get equally as much out of it. That feeds me, that grows me. And so when it comes to AI, I can't allow myself and I won't allow myself to feel threatened in the moment about the technology that's happening. 
So I'm looking at the billions that are going to help those in SAG-AFTRA who are background people. And yes, all that other stuff can happen. It's absolutely possible. But it's also looking at the realities of the cost of living and how you live now. What can benefit me in this now? And how do we navigate it as those realities continue to burgeon into a truth? Because you can't fight the future when you don't know what it is. When it hasn't completely 100% presented itself in your world. Mm -hmm. And that's the space that I hold when it comes to AI. Because guess what? It's happening. It's been happening. It'll keep happening. And so sometimes watchdogs have to be there to protect when that thing happens, as opposed to let's try to do it way before it happens. Let's try to do this now for future generations. Right. But future generations, we don't know after we're gone how they'll handle stuff. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's meant to all go away. As crazy and as insane as that sound, maybe it'll <laughs> right. all go away. And we'll all grow ourselves differently and give ourselves enough time to find peace with ourselves, peace with each other, peace with the world, saving animals, saving the water, protecting our oceans, cleaning our planet. Maybe then will we find a different purpose and course for our lives. Talk about it, talk about it. Um, you have uh, an interesting, um, and I, I meant to ask you about it when I when I last I saw you. So I know you are a big believer in vibration and frequency, and you have this tattoo. I'm a big believer in what I know is tangible and on the back of your neck that I love so much. Um, it, yeah, y'all see that right there at the top. So explain to the folks the the reason behind or. The, the the tattoo and and what you feel is is the perfect vibration or frequency 528 hertz according to many people in the metaphysical world is the highest vibration of love it tunes the body it calms you down it relaxes you and we all know that vibration has energy yeah. vibration can be strong enough to break a glass vibration can be strong enough to blow things over and so vibration is powerful because you can't have energy waves. All energy waves are vibrational. And not only that, but you can chart it electronically. Mm -hmm. You can chart the pulse of the earth. The planet itself has a frequency. Wow. And when they tune that frequency, it's at like a close to 528, 528 hertz. Why? Because it's a breathing entity. It's a breathing entity. It's a breathing entity that also reproduces. Water changes its frequency and its molecular space that it holds. The molecules move differently. And this was proven by a Japanese scientist in the 60s, the 70s. He did a book on it where if he spoke to water, speak. Wow to a glass of water in a negative way, the molecular structure changed a different way. Still H2O, but what they looked as molecules were different. Spoke to it positively, molecular, molecular structure of what it looked like changed. And he did this repeatedly enough to present it to the world and write a book on it. So 
negative and positive. When we talk about batteries, negative and positive. When we talk about, you know, the people in our lives, negative and positive. And I think each and every one of us are the DNA of something much greater than us because we're all energy that has always been around forever and always mm -hmm. existed. Yeah. And so in the 60s, they're talking about, oh man, good vibes, man. That's good vibrations. You know, when you think of the Beach Boys, good vibrations, vibrations. Where does that come from? Ah, oh, man, good vibes, man. You have bad vibes. All of that. I don't think scientifically they thought of it, mm -hmm. even if it's a colloquial word. But where it comes from is something deep within us. Another example in general, Michelangelo. Why think about flying when it was impossible? The possibility of flight. Mm -hmm. And yet he had the information for the concept of it because centuries later it would happen. But it didn't stop him from thinking about it. He just didn't have the technology at the time. Yeah. The resources were there, but not discovered enough to put them together for this for that for that century that he lived in. Right. And so I think we all have knowledge. We hold on to the pain of knowledge in the visceral world, the three-dimensional world, which is why some people go, I have imposter syndrome, because you're holding on to that. But that's transmutational. The eternal truth is the power and the beauty that you are. And we're not here to figure out if that's the case. We're here to uncover that truth that is us. And so vibrations, 528 hertz, is a high vibration of love. It's a high frequency. Government experience, experience, experimented with frequency. Mm. Papers and papers and papers that you can find online from the United States government uh, using frequency on people, on human beings during the Cold War. Do you feel that um, in, in regards to, to vibrational... Uh, your voice. Vibrations and frequency. Uh, yes. Your voice is vibration. Um, what you want to do, everything you want to do is vibrational mm -hmm. energy. Do you find that when you walk into an area, into a room, that you are instantly attracted to people that are on the same frequency as you? Do oh, you, absolutely. Can... But I think that's the case in any case. I mean, you know, when people are, are, are having an exchange, of course, you're going to vibrate and you're going to be... Uh, uh, more energized by people that vibrate on a higher frequency. And you can tell because it's never about three-dimensional stuff. It's never about the world of lack, limitation, and density. It is that conversation will transmute into something higher because they see that that energy is all one. You know, everyone talks about in Christianity, you know, being all one, one with the world, one with the planet and, and, and with, with uh, a Buddhism, you're being one with this and one with that. And, and meditation helps you be one with the one. All of that is because it is a truth. Mm -hmm. It's more than a philosophy. And on top of that, as a faith, as a faith, and for me, an unwavering one, I am a reflection of all of things that are sentient. I am a reflection of all of life. I'm a, a sentient being that is a connection to all people. So if I don't like somebody, there's something about myself that needs to grow. And maybe I'm not aware of that moment mm -hmm. of that growth. Maybe it's in the past. Maybe it will be in the future. But why do I vibrate with certain people and why do I not? I've had people in my life that I've known for years and we never really, I never really vibrated with them. I care about them. I love them. But I knew that eventually 
years, however long it would take, they would disappear from my life. And I would allow that to happen. Wow. Because I knew that our paths and what we're meant to do are, are, are separate. Our vibrations are meant to go out into the world. Because we serve a higher purpose in the world when our vibrations and our frequencies move differently and all over the place. Do you take that that energy? Um, I know you say you've taken experiences that you've had in the past and into your performances. Um, Every experience. How much Absolutely. energy do you feel? And I've heard athletes say, you know, I, I left it all on the floor, meaning they just expended themselves till they had nothing less. Do you put that in every single performance that you do? Or do you feel like, you know what? I could have given this more. I don't feel like I've, like you say, you speak of service. Have you ever felt like, you know what? I didn't give that character enough service. You know, let me go back in and, and give something else. Or do you leave it all on the floor as well? I leave it all on the floor ever since really moving into that spiritual space of that, which was about 2012. So it's gone 11 years, ever since 11 years for, for the past 11 years, I look at it and go like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm giving everything. And not only that, but I can't gauge just me because then it would just be my ego. Yeah. Sometimes you have to, uh, you, you have to completely surrender your ego, leave it at the door, check it at the door and allow people to say, I, we got everything we need. I love it, but I'll never leave without you having more than you need. I'll never leave with a, a room without you having more than you need. I just got finished working on something for ESPN and it was a really lovely deal with them. Um, and I said, okay, all right, Matt. And they gave me permission because every time a vibration came up, it's like, I'm feeling this. Can I, can I go through this feeling and put it in these? Okay. I'm feeling this, may I? And they just, they indulged me, but with mm -hmm. their permission. Yeah. They indulged me. And then at the end, I say, is there anything else you'd like to hear? Is there any ideas and concepts and wants and wishes and tweaks or anything? Nothing is ever trivial enough. Mm -hmm. So that they don't have to come back to me other than tech stuff and go, listen, we need to re-record this because of this. So yes, because these are somebody else's stories and I want to do them justice. I'm here to represent your story. You're trusting me. Mm -hmm. And I cannot take away that trust. I, I refuse to be half-assed. So yes, uh, uh, in in those terms, I leave it on the floor. But I'm ne here's the thing: I'm never exhausted from it. I'm invigorated. So an athlete, yes, because you've expended a lot of energy. You're you're now beholden to your muscles and your heart right. and your lungs and your liver and your legs and you know your spine, your breathing, your everything. You're beholden to everything in your body. For me, I become energized because I'm not beholden the same way an athlete is to be able to go, I'm so satisfied to give you everything that you wanted and allow myself at the same time to use my emotions and my experiences to take this journey. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I don't want to hear, you know, at the end of the day, I always go, nobody wants to hear you, but they do want to feel it. They want to feel their story. You don't need to hear me. You need to feel your story. And I said, if I, if you hear me and only me, then I didn't do this justice as far as I'm concerned, mm. because I want you to hear your story and I want you to go, that's why I connect to you. Cause there's something about me in this and they'll trust you every single time. And what do you feel makes a great storyteller? Because we know a lot of people. Your own life. What are the stories yeah. better than your own, uh, your own truth? Yeah. You know what makes a great storyteller? Your own life. 
and telling stories. Hmm. What story can be greater than your own? Because you've lived it, your flesh and blood. And it's your equipment to tell every story that ever existed. Someone goes, well, I'm not a doctor. Right. But do you know what it's like to be compassionate, frustrated, tired, relentless in a pursuit to help? Mm -hmm. Wanting for somebody? The agony of defeat when, they when you've lost them? Do you know what it's like to lose somebody in your life? Do you know what it's like to not want to see them die and do everything you can for them? and not feel helpless, then you can play a doctor. See, that's why I say we're all one. And that doesn't come from a, 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 a voiceover or career or industry thing. That comes from life. That yeah. comes from my relationship with God. Because that's the truth and the foundation of everything. So if that's the truth and the foundation of anything and everything, I can move through this entire planet and go, this space I want to hold, and this space I can hold, and this space I can hold, and this space I can hold. As opposed to, nope, it's all for voiceover. If someone says, Deborah, pray with me, I can't go, well, I do voiceover, but I don't want to use my voice that way. No, I want to hold all of those spaces. Why? Because at the same time that I'm holding all of those spaces, I can go in and tell the story of humanity. Yeah. Because I'm living it. And I don't care if it's a sentient tree, or if it's a bug, or the moment it speaks, the moment it speaks, mm -hmm. it's human. And you're the human to come in and be possessed by that. I never become a character. People say, oh, like, you know, I become this character. I'm like, I never like, like, I never become a character. The character becomes me because they're one dimensional and they live inside me because without them, Without me, mm -hmm. they have no voice. They have no emotions. Their emotions have been written for them, but they haven't been lived. And that's why I allow them to possess me so that they can live within me and I can use my emotions to tell their stories. I, it's, for me, it's like possession. Yeah. My body changes. Everything about me changes. Sometimes engineers have to come in and move the mic because my body's in a different position or I'm lower or I'm smaller, you know? And so for me, it's like possession. Once you come in, sometimes I've had um, issues getting out of it. Hmm. I, and, and in God of War Ragnarok, I it took me a good uh, five to ten minutes to get out of it. Wow! I had one day of shooting, and it was a pivotal space mm -hmm. that I held, and it was an offer. So I go in, and I have one day. I've never worked with anybody before. No rehearsals, no blockings with them. Wow. So I know this being, this Gryla, this grandmother. And I know the space that she holds and I know the space why and everything. And then I go deep. And it is a, a, a painful place for her. And there's mm. a strength in the pain. So it's finding that, navigating that strength in the pain. And so the young lady who's playing Anger Boda came in and I told the director, I, I refuse to meet her. Mm. Because after not seeing her for years, I want to see her for the first time. And there's a space of resentment that I've been holding. Yeah. So now I'm holding this dark space, you know, for myself. I'm holding this dark, painful space 
dark, painful space. And when she comes in, she brings it out. Right. But she has to have something that, to bring it out. So I have to hold this dark, painful space. I never met her during the shoot. I never talked to her. But what would happen is right before we would shoot, I would walk up to her and look at her. Just stare in her eyes. And at first, first pass, she was like, what is going on? <laughs> Second pass, she's like, oh, you're my grandmother. I, I get this now. You're my grandmother. Third pass, she's looking at me like her granddaughter who goes, I care about you. Yeah, that's cool. Fourth pass and final pass, because we only did three to four takes. Yeah. Final pass, I'm now crying while I'm looking at her. Wow. And so we were able to tell our stories without even meeting and knowing each other's names. That's the connection I wanted to create. And she, she was gracious and kind enough to get it and wanted mm -hmm. to get it. And it was, the stuff between us was powerful. That's and so beautiful. when I finally, she finally leaves, one of the lines that I had to say, which is, is really powerful, and I'm screaming this, I should have killed you as soon as I pulled you out of your fucking mother. And it can't be a space of just anger mm -hmm. because human beings hold all of their emotions together. It is love and it is loss. And it is seeing the daughter that I had, who was your mother in your face and not being able to cope. Yeah. And so once that cut, the final cut, it was releasing it all. Cause I held that space for so long and it was releasing it all. And I was on my knees, head to the ground, sobbing my heart out and crying and then screaming to let it all out. Yeah. Primal therapy. I did a game. It was all Japanese. I didn't know what was going on. Director was Japanese, didn't speak any English. He had a translator. I wasn't told anything about it. So when I came in, I went, what is going on? I don't know anything. I booked this off of an audition that I did on camera at home for this PCAP project. And I don't know anything about it. And I didn't get any information. And when I find out I book it, I just know that I'm supposed to be coming here at this place. No, hmm. nothing else. Damn. No script. In other words, no script to read through it. Mm -hmm. And as it is a Japanese game, the culture of this Japanese game is fantasy reality with all of these things involved. So it's not what we would normally think in a narrative. Yeah. Because the, 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 the realities are blending and the characters and how they blend in this Japanese type of reality is like anime, but not anime, but storytelling gotcha. and anime. And it was all, all over the place. And I'm like, their scenes are not like, this is one scene, this is two scenes, no. They blend in because for this production, it was telling this side of the story, but that side of the story had three different ways of like, this is one chunk of the story. This is one chunk of the story. This is one chunk of the story here in the United States. We would go, okay, this is one scene. 
Here's the next scene. Yeah. Here's the next scene. You take it in chunks. Which meant memorizing it on the spot. And I was like, okay. And so here's my process. Again, keep in mind, voice print, voice print. I went voice print first. And here's what I did though. I went voice print first because we don't have a lot of time and I have a lot of lines. I want to be able to have someone sit with me as I, as I memorize these lines, as I memorize these lines, just to keep me straight in my head. Voice print yeah. is first for me. Memorize these lines, memorize these lines, memorize these lines, memorize these lines. Now that I have these lines, please read with me. And let me look at you. Let me find that space within me. Let me bring up memories of my mother, my father, my this, my that. Let me bring up these memories of that experience and this experience. And before you know it, in just doing that, I'm, I'm in that space. At that point, the voice print disappears. Because mm. I already know what it is, so I can toss it away. I know yeah. what it is. I can toss it away. Now the storytelling is there. And I went in there. And I crushed it because I had to, and I right. needed to, and I wanted to, because I also realized that the culture of Japan, mm -hmm. it is the truth and the emotion. It is a grounded thing. This was beyond anime. And they worked to tell this fantasy and fantastical story in a purely grounded way. And that's why I was hired because they saw my performance in my mocap audition and it was grounded. And so I was like, I'm, I can't be grounded because I, 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 this is too much going on. And so I found the voice print mm -hmm. and then memorized and then put the pages away and asked the person who was memorizing it with me to read with me. And I wasn't reading anymore. I was actually telling them the story and they could look down at the page if they want, but now I'm involved in the storytelling yeah. and to be involved in the storytelling is to go to all those places. And I did. And every bump, boom, every take, boom, gotcha. It took me a second to catch up to the technical things. Like, okay, we want you to stand here and do that because you're going to be holding this. And we don't have that now, but you got to hold that like that. And was that other than that, it was just technical, but the performance was on because the technical stuff you can get. Yeah. But there's nothing more frustrating than doing the technical and trying to get lines at the same time. And it's like, why put yourself in that position? Why put yourself in that position? And so that's what I did. That's what I did. And the Japanese director who spoke no English was very grateful. And I wanted to leave people saying, this is why we brought you in. We trusted that in this short period of time, you can do it. And even the game devs that weren't Japanese and there were people there or rather on at Sony who were in the volume and um, were there as all the tech folks were for the most part, the tech folks were um, who were um, gathering all the information yeah. from the session um, and shooting it were American. Cause even when I walked in, I knew a lot of them from other stuff and they were like, because hmm. every actor was American. Yeah. Every actor was American. So they were like, oh. and I was like, um, production coordinator was American. What's, I, I can't tell you. I said, but he's, I didn't even know he was Japanese. I didn't know this was Japanese. I didn't even know it was Japanese. I didn't know it wasn't Japanese walking in. I didn't even know. Wow. 
and that the, the, the director spoke no English and had a translator, everything. I had no idea. And I never got a script. Never got yeah. a script. That's incredible. But you do what you got to do and you will <clears> find <throat> it. Because that's why I say, I tell you people, it's all within you. It's just a matter of saying, how do I work in this thing? How do I transmute that? So now I'm adding more to my luggage when I work. Technically and creatively. Technically and creatively. And how I work. So he said, oh, but you don't put your voice forth. In this situation, it was important to do that. But at the end of the day, did they get what they needed? Were they happy? Did I accomplish everything? Did I serve their process of storytelling? Mm -hmm. And did I leave satisfied and having cathartic moments of, of, of reliving things that have healed me and are continuing to find their healing power and purpose within me? I got more out of it than I may have given. Who knows? Yeah. But I know that I can use it and add it to my luggage while I leave my baggage behind. Well, I'm definitely going to be packing my bag a little different now after this. I tell you that. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> in closing, so, um, you know, the name of the show is taking time out with whip Trey. That's me. But what I also like to do is for well, is it my taking guests, time out with Trey or is it taking time out with Trey Mosley? Trey Mosley. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to, you said taking time out with Trey and I thought, I was like, I thought it was taking time out with Trey Mosley. Okay. No. Well, my point is I, I, I did it that way because I like to, to get people's story, like I said, I like to talk about the before versus the after. But now I want to get into, you know, the cameras are off, the mics are off, and you have given all that you have given for that session or sessions, depending on how busy you are during the day or during the week. Uh, when all is said and done, how does Deborah take time out for herself? Oh my God. I love my alone time. People say like, you're always alone. I'm like, no, I'm never by myself. I'm always with myself. That's number one. Number two, I have a very active life for me as what I consider. Cause keep in mind, I'm not a kid. I'm 61 years old. So I Y'all like having the space that I hold. Yes, I am 61. So I love holding the space that I have that I built where I can be of service to this space, my, my apartment, my animals. I have, I have 15 tarantulas. I have three snakes, one of which is venomous. I have a dog. I have two Southern toads and I have a Colombian tegu lizard. So for me, being a caregiver and mm -hmm. having that as a focus and a joy is really powerful. Watching a movie, I'm vegan, making a great vegan meal, uh, uh, calling and texting friends, playing my games. I, I love, and I do not play video games, everyone. I do not play video games. I'll voice them all day long. I'll, I'll, I'll performance capture them all day long, but I do not play games. If I really want to see what I've done, I can always go to YouTube and, and look at the cinematics. They're always there. Yeah. But when I come home, I want to unwind, decompress, walk my dog and get back into those realities. I need to clean my apartment. I need to do my laundry. You know, I need to do the dishes. I need to make a meal. And I love taking care of my animals. I love taking care of me. Some people like gardening. Gardening. They yeah. go, you know what? When I garden or I go to sip and paint or, you know, <laughs> I do these things. But I'm a homebody. Even as a child, I was always a homebody. My parents had to push me out the door to get some fresh air. I am a homebody. As a kid, I would sit there and read. My imagination went wild. I had a great fantasy life going on in my head. Mm -hmm. I love to create stuff. 
my mother would do arts and crafts project with me in the kitchen, or I'd come down and she would say, all right, let's taste these things. And she taught me about enjoying foods that are raw and fresh. And my mom always cooked an international dish once a week for either wow. from Russia or from China. My mom was an amazing cook. My mom was an amazing cook, an amazing human being, an amazing woman and an amazing mom. And so I get all that creative space definitely from my parents and the influence to be myself mm -hmm. even that much more. Um, they handed me the baton and I took off and I took off. And so after doing all these things and being stimulated by the world and giving everything and doing all of that, I'm invigorated to go home and just be. Yeah, I'm still the same being. I'm still the same person, but I'm invigorated to go home and just be. So I like paying attention to things that don't include a need to pay attention to my needs as much. Right. So I'm taking care of my animals. Like I said, I have 15 tarantulas. I have three snakes. I have a dog. I have two southern toads. And I have a Colombian tego lizard. So, I mean, taking care of them. And I revamped for Thanksgiving. And I don't celebrate the holidays. I celebrate the everydays. Yes. And so while everybody was celebrating Thanksgiving, I was celebrating what I call every day, thanks living. Hey, now. And while everybody was doing their thing, it was a time, well, great. I don't have all this stuff coming in. I don't have a lot of auditions coming in right now. It's the holiday. It's the break for everybody. So I'm not constantly doing paperwork. I'm not constantly recording auditions. At this point, it's like, great. It's a break. Yeah, it's a break for me. So in that break, I revamped all of my um, enclosures. Well, most of my enclosures for my tarantulas. I cleaned them out, I gutted them, and I, I I just revamped them and made them different. I love doing that because it's a creative process for me, as well as the the ability to take care of a living thing and give mm -hmm. it a quality of life and make sure it has a quality of life. Uh, I'm still working on that. And then I spent some money okay. uh, and custom-made enclosures because I, I realized that with the work that's coming in, characteristically, I was never sitting down, relaxing, and sitting back watching TV. I bought a 65 inch flat screen and went, oh yeah. And I didn't watch it a lot. So I was like, get a sound bar and you will. I did. Hey, now. I did. I bought the sound bar and I didn't. So <laughs> then I said, um, you know what? Get a recliner. Cause oh baby, you're going to be sitting in that recliner watching TV. I bought the recliner and didn't watch the TV. So the sound bar meant nothing to me. The TV meant nothing to me. I gave it all away except wow. my recliner because I'm old. So <laughs> I gave away everything except the recliner. And uh, now I had this, wide media table with nothing. And I said, you know what? What if when I walked in or anyone else walked into my apartment, there's a slice of nature, mm. no TV, no staring at stuff, no YouTube, none, you know, none of the stuff that's on network or streaming instead of people having to dissolve their connection. What if they built a connection by seeing a piece of slice of nature? So I'm, and it's still in the process. I had a custom made enclosure. And okay. now I'm having the interior custom made. So it looks like you're walking into a reptile house at a zoo or you're walking into oh, uh, 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 the Natural History Museum yeah. and seeing a live exhibit. And I'm having four of them made. Uh, mm. Three for my snakes and uh, one for my tegu lizard. So I'm very excited about having to walk in and having people go, oh, wow, whoa, whoa, you know, as opposed to a TV that's off. And then you come in, it's like, well, you want to watch TV? just to come in and be stimulated immediately. So um, yeah, 
taking care of my, my apartment, taking care of my home and taking care of my animals is important and playing my, my, the games that I play on, um, are word games and conundrum games and puzzles and things and, and mind games. Yeah. They're really great for the mind. Word, definitely word stuff. Um, and I'm obsessed. I have about six or seven of them. And, um, there's certain, uh, picture puzzle games that I love putting together. Uh, but yeah. And I sit down with a, my nice little cup of tea <laughs> and my puzzle games have a little bit of dessert. Yeah. yeah. That's me. And the older I get, the more I eat like a, 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 an elementary school kid. I got this here and this here and this here. You know, I need to get one of those trays where you separate the foods. <laughs> yeah. I need to. Those, and they're all plastic colors. They're all in, right. you know, but I, if they can find, if I can find them for adult, I would. I'm going to go on Amazon. Thank you, Amazon. I know you have it for me. You, um, I know you have it for me. No, they so, do. And I create, I make jewelry. So I've been making pendants yes. for a long time. And I started making these light pendants that are really important to me because I wanted to put a statement out in the world without preaching or proselytizing anything. But I just wanted to remind people of this amazing, beautiful light that is within you. That is your soul. It is your authenticity. It is your truth. And people are verging on those truths. And it's just a reminder. It is a touchstone in the physical world of the greater being that you are when you step into the light that you are. And, be a, and, and know that you're not just a human being, but you're also a light being. So I made them for a long period of time. And this year I'm ending it because I want to start on a project that I've been thinking about for at least uh, two years. Yeah. And it's an angel pendant project. I bought these little angels years ago and they're about yay big. They're almost a half inch. Okay. And they're little brass, little bronze angels. And I'm going to put them on red cords, almost like when people have the red bracelets, the red strings for Kabbalah. Yeah. Um, and the reason I'm going to do that is because I found that whenever I gave bags of a hundred, I had pendant project before the light pendants. So pendant, the pendant project with the lights like this one I made, yeah, the pendant oh, project cool. with the light uh, that I made was uh, uh, the second. The first phase was I was making these pendants out of these symbols, uh, own symbols and infinity symbols and um, uh, philosophies on them. One of my favorite philosophies on the, one of these pendants and they were like silver metal, basically. It said, it's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. So for you out there who think that you are an imposter in what you do and that you are a fraud, let me tell you, you're not the first to think of that and feel that way. I felt that way at my beginning of my career when it came to Mad TV. I felt that way about myself. It took me four seasons on that show to feel like I hit my gear and I'm not. Four seasons and Mad TV was my third series. Mm. I did two television series before that in New York. I was the spokesperson for Amana, which is an appliance company. Yep. I was the spokesperson for Burger King. And I still, by the time I got to LA, thought I was a fraud. And here's the deal, in case we have this in common, it didn't start with the industry. It started feeling that way before. I'm just using my linear thinking as an adult with the industry to feel I'm a fraud. 99% of the time it comes from childhood. A trauma, a belief system, someone said to you something. Mm -hmm. You're not worth it, you can't make it, you can't do that, it's not possible. So a lot of times it comes from a trauma that we turn into a trauma as adults, yeah. nine times out of 10. Oh yeah. My trauma 
was bedwetting, chronic bedwetting. That was one of my traumas, mm. which was low self-esteem, which means if you think you're that great, you're still that child who's a bedwetter. They're going to find you out. Oh, you think you're that great? What makes you think you're wonderful? What makes you think you can have all of that? Remember, you're just a bedwetter. What makes you think you can have, oh, you, oh so now you think you're something. You think you're wonderful. Hmm. What makes you better than anybody else? Childhood trauma. And you use your linear thinking as adults to justify that space while still matriculating in the real world, just like alcoholics who can function. Yay, now. You feel me, people? <clears throat> yeah. Look back into your past, reconcile it, and now you can't hold it against me because I'm telling you about it. You feel me? Yep. Because our childhood trauma also tells us someone's going to hold it against me. Someone's going to find out. Someone's going to hold it. But guess what? They can't hold it against you if you're telling your truth. They can't hold it against you if you find the power in your truth. Why? Because a part of your process on this planet as human beings is to go through stuff and get through stuff so you can turn around, pass the baton, and lift someone up. That's how you know we're all meant to be one. Leave no man behind. Leave no human behind. So your life has a greater purpose than all of this because all this other stuff can be taken away. Yeah. But who you are to yourself and to other people will echo throughout eternity. When you help someone up, but you got to go through stuff so that you can go like, oh man, I see some in trouble. I see someone, I, I'm listening to them right now and I feel it. Why? Mm -hmm. Because you're hearing yourself again. You're seeing a mirror image of yourself again. And with that visceral response, you'll be the one to help when everybody else turns away. And the power that you'll get out of helping somebody, the power that your life holds, the journey that you're taking, the story that is within you will be the greatest story because that is the foundation of telling all stories. Yes. Before you know it, you're not just doing voiceover. You are a storyteller. And so stop with the imposter syndrome because you're not an imposter. You're not an imposter. Everything you live is real. And you're here simply as a being to make choices and to live those choices and to embrace those choices and to change those choices. Yes. So if you think it's shit, guess what? Your minerals, turn it into fertilizer and grow it so that you can go into a studio. And when someone says, just give me a voice print, we got to go, I have time. You can transmute that experience and still get what you need out of it. And people will thank you for it and love you for it. And they'll use you again for it. Mm -hmm. And so go, oh, okay, I'm going to start with the voice, but I'm not going to lose track of me. I want to tell their story. Yeah. And I'm going to use my emotions. So all of my bedwetting and all of that stuff that I ever went through in my low self-esteem, I use it to tell stories. It serves me. That's why it's a part of my luggage but I will never allow it to be my baggage again. It's a part of my luggage. And I tell you honestly, I can very easily say I was a chronic bedwetter. I was almost 14 years of age. I was going on 14 mm -hmm. before I stopped wetting the bed. And now if there's anyone who's going through a childhood trauma, I pull it out. I'm here. I can't rescue you, but I can share with power and vigor. Yeah. And passion and compassion, that. And that's why at 61, 
work is continuing to explode for me instead of slow down because I'm living my best life because I'm living the truth. And the truth for you is you're not an imposter. You're just afraid of being so real and so powerful that you may not be able to harness it, but you can. That's your real fear. And that's why I gave out these pendants that said, it's not who you are that holds you back. It's who you think you are not. Mm. I and think so that... now I want to move on to my angel pendants. <clears throat> yeah. And everyone has this little angel. It represents whatever it want, you want to represent. Peace, love, protection, joy, someone watching over you, a loved one who's passed. And all these red cords to connect people. So you go, wait a minute, you're wearing a little red cord. Is there a little angel on yours? Yes. Before you know it, you have a commonality with someone you've never seen before and never met before. I still got the pendant you gave me. And Danielle has hers as well. Um, sometimes when I will go into a session, I'll, I'll just pick it up and rub it. Trying to get that that energy in, in inside of me and, and have it infused with within me. Um, you know, and I never forgot that it's just one of these things that, and I can attest, I have days where maybe it's not imposter syndrome. Um, but I definitely have days where I feel I, I revert back to a, a point in my life. And like you said, dealing with, with childhood drama, where you may feel, or you've had people that will tell you you're not good enough or who do you think you are to be in this space? But now I have so many people around me that pour into me and support me and encourage me, you know, folks like you, uh, definitely my, my wife and, and, and my family that, you know, on those days where I felt that imposter, I'm like, well, how can you be an imposter when there's only one I'm one of one. So I, I can't fake being me. I'm the only me I know. So I take that and I take it into the studio. Well, here, or if I'm, you know, in, in Burbank recording something, and I just give them my best me. Absolutely. And I'm going to impart something to you before we go to you and your audience as well. And I think this is just, again, brain food and, and definitely soul food. Oh, yeah. Definitely soul food. The reason we're meant to go back into those spaces is to reinvigorate the space we already hold. It's almost like conditioning when you're going back into the gym. Yeah. And so we're meant to go to those spaces on a regular basis to continue to connect to our humility and be aware of the spaces of the power to move beyond that because we'll always in life, we'll always in life have something that we'll need to move beyond. And sometimes we go to that space mm -hmm. and it's so powerful because the world is also going, the universe is also going, God is also saying, I'm continuing to build you stronger than you've ever been built. And so it's not the knockdown because that will always happen. It's the get back up. So how can you get back up until you felt life or if an experience has knocked you down. Knock you down, yeah. It's the same way that if someone is playing tennis and they said, well, you know, I'm left-handed and that person keeps lobbing it to your right, 
You can be disappointed, you can get frustrated, you can get angry because you are technically losing the game. But the more you use your right hand, the more it gets stronger. And before you know it, they're serving you to your right. And you are surprised and they are surprised that you lobbed it right over the net and they missed it. Because they actually helped train you. You feel me? Yeah. And that's what life is doing. It's helping to train you to continue to get back up because it's the standing up and it's the moving forward that empowers you. I had imposter syndrome three months ago. I was in an ADR and looping session with a new, not a new loop group, loop group I've worked with, but the person who was working on this project, who was the head of the looping for this project that represented the movie company, yeah, that represented the producers, represented the producers. So she did ADR and looping as the producer for this movie, not as the producer of the movie, but pr the, the producer of the ADR looping session. Yeah, I guess. She was the ADR coordinator, whatever. And it was a major feature. And she came from the punk music industry. Okay. So she's a very well-known punk music industry guitarist. Bow down, bow down. But for some reason or other, I didn't click in the session. I wasn't delivering in the session. And I let the nerves get the better of me. Mm. So Deborah, uh, come up. Do you have anything? Got nothing. Instead of coming up to fake it. But still admitting that in that moment when she's like, all right, uh, blah, blah, blah. Come up and blah, blah, blah. Okay, give me blah, blah, blah. Okay, Deborah, Because it was like, hey, you're supposed to research this. I didn't know. Because we're looking for blah, blah, blah in a nursing home. Now, I can improv. So I went in and, and, and in this hospital this sort of insane asylum hospital. Yeah. I went in and I was doing a PA system, but I was doing a PA system, not with doctors or nurses or technical things. I was saying this will be moved, you know, the we basket weaving will be moved here, blah, 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 go to this floor for this, that kind of a thing. And she's like, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for all the technical stuff, you know, the doctor stuff, the nurse stuff, that type of jargon. I hadn't done the research. I didn't know that's what, that's what she wanted. Mm. So there was a complete disconnect and, and, and I let it, I allowed it. I allowed it to get the better of me. And so even when I came up as a newscaster, which is something I do, I can do it in my sleep, flubbing stuff, nerves, let it get the better of me. And yeah. I told myself, as I sat down listening to everybody else was like, yep, got it. Yep. Got it. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Great. All I could do was the looping stuff, the sweetening, the background. That's, that was my sweet spot, the background, but any ADR stuff in the forefront, I was a mess. Mm. And I sat there going, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Now, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I, what am I doing here? Yeah. In other words, I already know rhetorical question. I'm doing nothing. I'm bringing nothing to the table. What am I doing here? What am I doing? You're doing nothing. What are you doing here? Nothing. What am I doing here? Not bringing it to the table. 
So my answers in my linear thinking were all nothing, not bringing anything to the table. Mm -hmm. Which made the larger question, what am I doing here? You don't deserve to be here. You blew it. And everybody knows. So does that mean everything you were doing before was a fluke? I gave myself a good mind fucking. But when I was out of that situation and on my own, mm -hmm. I had to look at every looping session that I ever did. The joy, the fun, animation, live action, drama, comedy. Knock it out of the ballpark. Deborah, that's why you do ADR and looping. How many loop groups do you work with, Deborah? At least three. Did someone recommend you to another loop group and now it's the fourth? Yes. Now I go back to my linear thinking and self-love. Did you ever think you just having an off day? It was an off day. Did you ever think that in that off day, it was designed by nature, by God in that moment and by your choice so that you can talk to somebody else when they're having an off day, that you can share that experience and that maybe in sharing that experience, you'll find your own healing. And while you're supporting them. So everything in life, your experiences are powerful, necessary, and vital to everything you want to do because it will strengthen you and continue your healing when you are willing to share it with someone else and watch them heal too. The Catholics got it right when they said confession is good for the soul <laughs> because it yeah. strengthens you mm. and it emboldens you and it allows you to be compassionate and sharing with someone else. That type of confession mm -hmm. allows you to do good in the world for others, takes you out of your selfish, scared ego because it takes ego to think that you're hot shit, but it takes that very same ego to think that you have imposter syndrome. That very same ego. They're not different. And so to relieve yourself of the ego and help someone else, you will be humbled and grounded by the things you go through and how you feel about yourself. And you will be able to be selfless when you say someone's feeling the way I do, you're coming to your own rescue as you do for them. You're creating a new healing, which is a strengthening for yourself as well as inspiring them. Yeah. And you raise the conscious vibration. So even though you may have imposter syndrome in that moment, it is a stepping stone that you will leap over to get to your own journey, to get to your own successes, to get to your own abundance. And while you are running that race, you're seeing others who missed that hurdle and you know you're gonna win your race. So you, it takes nothing from you to stop back, step back and hand and pick them up and let them get back over their hurdles. Let me just pick you up. All right, you good? You getting over this hurdle? Okay, I'm keep going now. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think 
today, if you have not been uh, elevated and your vibration has not changed today, something is wrong with you. Deborah, thank you so much, darling, for uh, sharing your story, enlightening us, and, and just pouring into inspiration to people who are going to see this. And I think uh, lives will be changed. I know mine has uh, just from today. Uh, I thank you so much for, for taking time out uh, with me and with the folks yeah. who are watching this show. And uh, I would ask you how to reach you on social media, but you ain't got none. No, so, no. But here's what I do. Here's what I tell people now. This one thing I never told people before and until this year. I am on Cameo. So if you don't want to book a Cameo from me, that's fine. But you can always message me because I make sure that my messages are free. And I've had people from all over the world connect to me through Cameo to leave a message because I'm not on social media. So there is one way of getting huh? in contact with me. In fact, I've had people who were going through stuff that they said, you know what, I would love huh. It was just so much to type all this stuff and so much to share and have this exchange. I said, you know what? On Cameo, in the messages, if I know the time is right, if I am available, mm -hmm. if you're comfortable, and if I am comfortable, send me a Zoom link in your Cameo and let me know where you are in the world and let's chat. Yeah. I've even done that. Because again, it's always about these connections. Yeah. Connect, connect to, to everything. It only feeds into what you do and whatever you choose to do. So it feeds into me and I choose to be a better human being. It feeds into me doing voiceovers. It feeds into me doing performance capture. It feeds into me to take care of my animals. It feeds into me to make my jewelry for others as I think about the world and how I want to share. It feeds into me on every level, every level. And so if you want to be fed, and you want me to be fed by your presence and everything that you want to bring to the table, find me on Cameo. Y'all better go do what she said. I'm selling you. Thank you so much. And I love you. I love you more, baby. You know how this is. This has been Taking Time Out with your boy Trey Mosley and the great Deborah Wilson. Um, we will catch y'all on the flip side. We yes, we will. Thanks for listening to the Take Time Out with Trey Mosley podcast, part of the Titan Media Network. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcast. To see the video version of this, you can find us on YouTube on the Take Time Out with Trey Mosley YouTube page. Thanks for listening, or thanks for watching. Either way, we'll see you next time.